0: Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA TOUR Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. All
1: right, folks. Now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is four-time winner on the PGA Tour, Tim Simpson. And let me remind you about Tim's background. He's from right here in Atlanta, Georgia. He played his college golf at the University of Georgia where he lettered in 1975 and 76. He was an honorable mention All-American in 75 and a third-team All-American in 76. And he was named first-team All-SEC both seasons. While at Georgia, Tim won the 1975 Palmetto Intercollegiate Tournament and the 1976 Southern Amateur. He finished 21st in the NCAA Championship back in 1975 and 14th in 76. Turned pro the next year in 77. Like I say, he won four times on the PGA Tour at the 85 Southern Open, the 1989 USFNG Classic and back-to-back years at the Walt Disney World Oldsmobile Open in 89 and 90. He's collected five other professional wins, including five Georgia Opens and the Cacheron World Championship over in France. He had two top ten finishes in majors, both coming in 1990 at the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. He was named Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. In 90, he was named the Georgia Professional Athlete of the Year, and in 2004, he was inducted into the State of Georgia Sports Hall of Fame two thousand and six inducted into the Georgia Golf Association Hall of Fame as well and named Comeback Player of the Year on the Champions Tour. And I'm very excited that he is back with me again tonight here on Next On the Tee. Hey Tim, how are you, my friend?
0: I'm great, Chris. Thank you for all the accolades.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Tim, I want to start our time tonight. I want to get your talk quickly on the on the PGA tour's wraparound season. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that tonight on the show. You know, when you were out on tour, this this seemed like this was getting into the time of sort of silly season, right? We had the the skins games back then. We had the Shark Shootout. We had the Wendy Street Tour Open. Those sorts of things were happening or getting ready to happen this time of year. What are your thoughts on the on the PGA Tour wraparound? Is it is it good or is it too much of a good thing for the players?
0: I think it's too much. I, th- I think it's kind of kind of uh, oversaturation in my opinion. Um and I don't know. I, this time of year, uh, I was thinking about deer hunt. You know, anything I could hunt with a bow and an arrow. So, you know, November, December was typically, I mean, although it's not there yet, but that was typically our time to rest, rejuvenate, spend time with the family, do some hunting, go on a family vacation. And now it's like nonstop. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know, it's uh, traditionally... You watch it change the same players that play good in the silly season, and then they go into a slump uh, the first five or six months of the regular tour season next year. And in my opinion, I think their body's just saying, hey, I was looking forward to some rest. You know, and, and I I think it's too much of a good thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and that, you know, I was, was sort of curious. Like, you know, this time of year for you, you mentioned you were you know out hunting. But I imagine at some point your body needed to just take take a break and you put the clubs in the garage or wherever for a couple of months and just let your body rest and recuperate. To continue to play almost all year round, I would think eventually would start taking a toll on your body, would it not?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, any physical therapist will tell you that you're much more apt to pull or tear a muscle when it's fatigued. And I think uh, your body just breaks down. I mean, you look at look at the best pitchers in the world, the major league. I mean, they have to rest, and you know, rest them for three days or four days or five days, whatever it is. They're not throwing a hundred balls each day, staying sharp. You're resting, and I think your body needs it. But I tell you something: when you know, back in the day, I played a lot of tournaments, and of course. You know, the kids today are in astounding shape, but we weren't in bad shape in our era. And I would be honest and tell you that my mind took as much fatigue as my body. Um, When I would come off the road after playing like three tournaments in a row, you wake up Monday morning and it's the normal go, 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 go. And then Tuesday, it was like you crashed. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday – you just felt like you had the flu or like, like I did in all these years with Lyme disease. But then all of a sudden, Saturday, you start feeling good again. Then Sunday, you'd feel great. And then uh, Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, you're jumping on a plane going to the next term. So it takes your body time to wind down and to recoup. I mean, you truly get mentally exhausted as well.
1: And it's interesting that you mentioned that, Tim, because because I read that you once said the hardest thing to do in sports is to play with a quiet mind so that you can let your body play instinctively. So now you got both of those things, right? Now you got mental fatigue and you got stuff going on in your mind. Talk about the challenges around trying to figure out a way to quiet your mind down.
0: well, as you as you know, Chris, uh, Tom Kite and now were Bob Rotella's first students on the PGA Tour in, oh, probably 83 or so, and uh, I still, we're still dear friends, I still ask him questions concerning my competition archery, and, and you know, it doesn't matter what sport you're competing in, whether you're kicking field goals, throwing baseball pitches, batting, serving a tennis ball, it doesn't matter, it is all the same mind, and I will believe, till the day I die, that You will always perform your best when your mind is the quietest. And I battle it in competitive archery. I shoot bare bow. I shoot longbows and recurves, no sights, nothing fancy. And I can do a great job of keeping my mind quiet when there's nothing on the line. And then, you know, I shot the world championship last month, and it's like the mind's like, don't do this, don't do that. Make sure you do this. And, and your subconscious is saying, what in the heck, leave me alone, you know? <laughs> so it, yeah. it's, it's all the same mind. That's something you ought to keep in mind in the future, you know, when talking to people. It's all the same mind. It doesn't matter. You don't think when you brush your teeth. Probably the best quote I've heard in the last five or seven years was in a uh, sports psychology book, a self-help type book, and it wasn't written by Bob. It was written by somebody else. He said uh, someone asked him to describe the conscious mind. He said it's it's quite simple. When was the last time you missed your mouth with a fork? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is subconscious.
1: Yeah. Tim, I want to switch gears a little bit. And, you know, one of the things Absolutely. that's been attributed to you, one of the things that's been attributed to you, over the course of your playing career is what a great ball striker you were. You ask any of the, you know, the greatest legends of the game, the, the Jack Nicholases and Lee Trevino's, Arnold Palmer's, those guys would tell you that Tim Simpson was one of the great ball strikers, one of the best they ever saw. What do you attribute that to? What made you such a great striker of the golf ball?
0: Two things, and it's funny that we're touching on a quiet mind. I think I had as quiet a mind when it came to the golf swing as anybody. That ever played the game I focused on target like a laser And I trusted my swing I had a very simple and repeatable swing And I remember it wasn't the prettiest swing My swing was never as beautiful as Tom Percher's Or Payne Stewart's or some others But it was just very simple And whereas most players would get on for one or two weeks You know, I would get on for six weeks at a time and as you know, I've, I'm not in the book, The Greatest Putters in History. <laughs> and it was just it was just a matter of if I made a few putts that week, I finished top five or top ten, you know. But, um, yeah, I think the quieter you can keep your mind. Now, obviously, you've got to do your homework. you got to do your time in the gym, which is on the practice day. You know, and you've got to develop a repeatable, efficient golf swing. I can't emphasize efficient enough. And I think, quite honestly, if, if Jordan Spieth called me tonight and said, I'm just curious, what do you think is the matter with my driving? I'd say, without changing anything, I, there's one or two things I would change, but without changing anything, I'd back it down and start swinging 85%. I think the kids today overswing. I think it's, it, it's like we don't care if we hit it three fairways over, I'm going to be hitting a wedge back over the trees on the green. And my argument, Chris, and I think you'll like this, is if if you own a Ferrari and you run it at 7,500 RPMs all the time, it's just a matter of time before it blows up. It's much more efficient if you run it at a normal 3,500 RPMs. And me, the kids on tour today are just, I mean, it hurts me to watch them swing. After three back surgeries, my back don't like watching them swing. (laughs)
1: So, Tim, is is that what you mean by an efficient swing? Is that the the RPMs? Is that the the rate at which we're swinging? Or what do you mean by having a more efficient swing?
0: Efficient is repeatable. I swing repeated day after day, week after week, month after month. And I can remember all the way back in 1990, Golf Digest came to the TPC, and that was just the top 150 players in the world without the money list. And they asked all of us to to hit balls for them. And they took all kind of computer calculations and this and that. And I remember Tom Ness, who was on the Golf Digest panel for many years, he told me years later, he said, nobody, nobody was even remotely close to keeping the club going down the target line as long as you. He said the only person remotely close was Nick Price. And he said he was about two light years away. And that was why I went – I mean, I played 32 tournaments a year, and I did a Golf Channel show, and I went uh, from – I went seven years on the PGA Tour, 220-plus tournaments, and never hit a ball out of bounds. That's a lot of straight driving.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, a lot of – so, I wish I'd, I wish I'd made a few more
1: putts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hit on something a moment ago. You talked about you know you trusted your swing, right? and I think that's a place where a lot of we amateurs get in trouble, right? I mean, since we're not out there beating a thousand golf balls during the week on the tour or on the uh, on the range and that sort of thing, we we second guessed ourselves sort of mid swing, right? We de-sell And that's when we start to chunk it or we come out of it or we're doing that because we don't trust what's going to happen. Do you have some swing keys or some things that you did that allowed you to trust it because you had that same routine over and over again?
0: Well, I tell you, it's funny because Golf Digest came to me. I was already sick with Lyme's disease, but I was still playing on the regular tour. And they wanted me to give them my swing secrets. And I said, you know, I'm not quite ready yet. You know, give me a few years and when I retire, I'll be happy to. Well, by then I was a has-been and they weren't interested, but I was always a leg player. I believe today that the downswing is totally initiated by the legs. And they say 90% of all amateurs worldwide slice the ball. And the typical amateur swing is, you know, Chris, they take it back to the top, the legs stop, they start over the top with the hands, And it's over. I mean, now it's just hang on for dear life, because if you release it, it's going to be the worst duck hook you've ever seen. So, and the other thing, the other thing was, is simultaneously, as my left leg started driving, I pull with the last three fingers of my left hand. That was my key. And I gripped, you'd probably be shocked, even though I'm sure you're a, a high level player. At how lightly I gripped the club Now I worked for 20 years with Sam Snead was, He was like a grandfather to me And Sam gripped it literally Like he used to say, like he was holding a baby bird But I gripped it firm In the last three fingers of the left hand Firm being a five On a one to ten, not an eight The other fingers were light And then the right hand It was literally like I was holding My granddaughter's hand It was just barely on the club and I have the same trait that VJ uh, had in his prime, and I've seen it in several other players, where my my index finger and thumb actually come off the club right before impact. And, uh, I mean, I'm just really? holding it like a baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I was giving a lesson to a friend Sunday morning, and I said, here, grip." He, of course, he's over the top. He's an amateur. And I said, here, grip my index finger, how tight you're gripping it. And I said, all right, now the other hand. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's like you're choking a rattlesnake. You know, relax. <laughs> and and here's here's what you can do with anybody. Two things. Number one, you want to see how tight somebody grips a golf club. All you got to do is waggle. You can tell on TV. You can tell from 20 yards away. If they grip it and and waggle real fast, a lot Nick Price, Tom Watson, they're choking it. And and the other thing is, how you can prove it, just have somebody grip a golf ball on the practice tee, say, grip this tight and try to throw it, and they'll throw it right in the ground. Whereas if they grip it light, you know, they throw a beautiful ball. So you ha- you have to, you know, there's a saying in martial arts, um, relaxed muscles are fast muscles and strong muscles. And uh, I think, I think you, you watch, you look at Tiger, he, he looks like he could pull the club out of his hand. I watch it with a lot of young players. They have a light grip pressure. I do love that. I just don't like the fact that, you know, one thing that's never changed in the game, doesn't matter how fast or slow you take it away, the club has to come to a total stop, reroute, change directions, and go again. And from that reroute or the start of the downswing, they're trying to go from a zero to 120. And it's like, oh, my God. Give me eighty you know? <laughs> percent, you know. I mean, come on. Some Tiger Woods can't hit Lake Oconee where I live with a golf ball, you know, with a driver. It was like I told people, if this guy drove it one twentieth as straight as me, he'd have won three hundred tournaments. Know, it's just crazy. But of course he, he it's like I was telling Bubba Watson a couple of years ago and with some people around I, at a Bulldog Golf Day in Georgia I told him I said Bubba I can still hit it as far as you I just got to hit it twice Great <laughs> <laughs> <That's crazy>. uh <sighs>
1: Tim, you talked about your putting and how you wished, you know, if you could have just putted a little bit better. I, you know, I also read that that was sort of one of your big regrets with uh, respect to mechanics of the game was that your putting became too mechanical. Is that accurate? Is that what happened? Did you just got too much into the mechanics of the putting and not just stepping up and uh, putting the ball in the hole?
0: You are 100% correct, and uh, gosh am I as much as I love Bob Rotella, he's like a big brother to me. We would argue and argue and argue about it, you know, and I'd say, you don't understand. My hands are shaking, you know, and he's like, Timbo, everybody's hands are shaking. I'm like, I'm the only guy out here with Lyme's disease. I got a neurological disease. I'm not worried about three-putting. I'm worried about knocking it in the lake, you know, but I think (laughs) if I, Chris, if I had my career to do over again, I would do, I would do two things. I would I found something three or four years after I retired, about three years ago, I, I found something that it was something mechanical that was wrong since I was fourteen years old in my stroke. And the first stroke I did it in the bedroom, I'm like, I cannot believe I was that stupid. But the other thing I would change, I would never l- listen to anybody that said I couldn't put. It was like they had a patented line from the time I got on my on TV the first time on the PGA Tour until I retired from the Champions Tour. They'd say, Tim Simpson, great iron player, best ball striker in the world, can't putt. And you start believing you can't putt. And ironically, going back to keeping the conscious mind quiet, what I did so well tee to green, buddy, that thing cut on like bright lights. you know, my conscious mind when I got over the putter. Instead of, Rotella used to say, "Timbo, there's only two things you can do, go in or miss. Just relax and hit it. So, anyway, you know, we all wish we had takeovers. I wish I had never believed or listened to to them saying I couldn't putt. But if you think about it, they have to make an excuse why you're not winning 15 times a year. You know, it's like I remember, uh, uh, oh, I've been on tour three or four years before I ever got paired with Ben Crenshaw. We were friends. But I'm saying t- he shot the easiest sixty five I ever saw and he wasn't making forty footers. And we're going off eighteen T at the Phoenix Open and I said, Ben, where the heck do they get this? You can't hit it. And he just started laughing. And he said, I don't know. But he said, you know, you remember I won my first tournament on tour and then I went in a terrible slump for a couple of years and he said, That's what it was. He said, Everything I read, everything I heard talked about how bad I hit it. And um, you know, Everybody can't be a Tiger Woods and do everything, you know, just like Superman. And, um, you know, it, it all comes down to one thing. And I tell amateurs this week in and week out. If you're seeing somebody on TV on Saturday and Sunday, they have run the tables with the putter. There are guys eight and ten shots back that have no doubt hit it better they just lift them out and hung them on the lip. And people always pick on Jordan's feet. What's happening to him? I don't you know, he played so great last year and now he's messing with his swing. No, he's not messing with his swing. He's just not making two putts around over twenty feet and ninety percent under nine or ten feet. You know, and and you know, he goes a couple of months and all of a sudden here comes the putter back and there he is winning again. And that's the way it is with everybody. You know, unless you've got just astounding talent like Tiger or Dustin Johnson and stuff where they can have their C game and finish top 10, and if they kick in a few putts, well, it's a win.
1: Tim, before I let you go, I want to ask you about a couple of tournaments, that one that you won and one you were right there in. Your second PGA Tour win, I believe, came at the 89 USFNG Classic. You won it by two strokes over Greg Norman and Hal Sutton. And when I think of you and yeah. Hal Sudden, boy, I think, but there are two guys built very similarly, seem like they had a very similar mindset, two guys tough as nails. What do you remember about battling Hale and then that golf tournament?
0: Well, I was paired with Greg the last day, and Rotella and I came up with a great game plan the night before. He said, is your wife down there? And I said, No, she's at home. He's, I said, I got a couple of friends down here. He said, Well, except the fact there's going to be two people pulling for you in the gallery. Everybody's going to assume Greg is going to win, you know, because he's number one in the world. He was Tiger Woods in. And it was amazing. We can't, he said, just be patient and play your game. And it comes around to like number 14, 13, or 13, I guess it was, 14. And we both hit it right over the top of the pin, about 20 feet long, and he was about an inch outside of me. Same line. I had to move my coin. And he missed the putt, but I got a good read off of it. And I center cut it to take the lead. And the momentum of the gallery went 180 degrees toward me. And it was like it took the 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 wind out of his sails. Then the next hole I made, or two holes later, I made birdie. Then 16, I hit the pin. With my second shot, and it, it was all over but the grind. Uh, the U.S. Open in 1990 was the heartbreaker. It's the one that still I wake up with night sweats thinking about. You know, I set the course record there at Madonna. I became the first player in history to get the nine under in U.S. Open competition. And it was the same thing, Chris. I missed seven putts under four feet the last two days. I didn't hit it any wow. different. I mean, I, I hit it great. And and I remember my friend Butch Harmon was following Steve Elkington and I the first two days. And I don't, I'm sure Butch doesn't say it anymore, but forever and ever he said that was the greatest two rounds of ball striking he ever saw, which was very flattering coming from Butchie. But, uh, you know what? Life goes on. I'm enjoying retirement. I haven't played, I've played nine holes in three years. Uh, I've had three back surgeries, wow. and unfortunately I can't play anymore. And, and it's tough. It's tough. You know, I feel like, uh, an Olympic sprinter that won gold and is respected by his peers. And one day he woke up and he couldn't walk, you know, it's like, it's so easy for me to hit a golf ball. And God took that ability away from me, you know, you know, I don't ever care to compete again, even on a state level, but I would love to play with my granddaughters or play with you. If you came to town or friends, you know, it is it, tough.
1: Right. So Tim, before I let you go, being a Georgia Bulldog, I've got to get your thoughts. How do you feel about Georgia's football team this year? And is this the year that they get past Alabama and they get their opportunity and win a national championship? I'm
0: liking our chances. And I love the fact that watching the game the other night, they said we got the, the biggest line and the best offensive line in the nation. I'm telling you what, it, the, the linemen of the current linemen of Georgia, they can't fit in an 18 wheeler. These, do- I'm talking about the back of an 18-wheeler. These dudes are men. <laughs> but I tell you, uh, I think if anybody can beat Coach Saban other than Dabo, it's Kirby. Kirby coached with him forever and with all the coaches that, that have been under Saban that have gone on to the pros and the head jobs in college. He's the only one that Saban cried when he left. He said he was like his son. So uh, I'm a big Bulldog fan. Uh, the weekend of the Notre Dame game, in a couple of weeks, we've got our Bulldog Letterman's reunion, and you'll have guys a lot older than me, for God's sakes. I'm 63, and that will be there. And, and most all the kids from the PGA Tour come back, Bubba and Russell Henley and, and all the guys, Chris Kirk, they all come back. And it's a great reunion. And, uh, you know, we got a great tradition on the PGA Tour. Uh, we've been very fortunate. we put out a lot of great players out there.
1: Well, Tim, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, follow you on social media, and then come out and get a lesson or two, perhaps?
0: Well, you can go to TimSimpsonGolf.com, and uh, I teach, love to teach. I'm the only top 10 player or former top 10 player of the modern era that teaches. I love to teach. I'm just too old to stand out there all day and do it anymore, but few lessons here and there is fine. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Tim Simpson on Facebook, and I'm on and off again with it. But uh, And I do motivational speaking. Once again, you can book that through my website or contact me through my website. And uh, it's always a pleasure, Chris, coming on the show, and thank you for thinking of me, buddy.
1: I appreciate you, Tim. Thank you for taking time out of your night to come back. I always enjoy spending time with you so much, so I appreciate the fact that you had to you'd go through a little bit to get on the show tonight, but uh, you're spectacular, my friend. Just remember two things,
0: Chris. Start the downswing with the legs and pull with the butt of the club with the last three fingers of the left hand. You're going to call me and <laughs> say it's working, brother.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure it is. Tim, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye-bye. See you, Tim. That's the great Tim Simpson, folks. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, go check him out online, Tim Simpson Golf. That's his website. You book a lesson. You can, uh, you know, interact with him there. It doesn't do a whole lot on social media, but you'll find him every once in a while on his Facebook page as well. But so many great tips came out of that. I'm going to tell you, the efficient swing, the repeatable swing, 80%, you know, I think is spot on. And that grip, I'm going to try that thing. We'll see, we'll see what, how that works. I'll let you know.